This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Stacking them deep, selling them cheap. It tastes like gasoline, rubber, and victory. We're out here stacking pennies. All right, ladies and gentlemen, buckle up. We have a very, very, very special guest right here in studio with us. We've been trying to line him up for months now, almost years. But we got him in studio today. Buckle up because this man sitting next to me has 776 cup starts, 34 wins. He's a 2004 NASCAR Cup Series champion, 19 winning seasons to his record, driving and winning for four different manufacturers. Indy 500 started. I can go on and on, but let's just talk to the man himself. Sitting right next to me is Kurt Busch right here in the studio. How are you, my friend? I'm doing good. Thank you for the intro. Now, was, that, was that good enough? Well, I've been, I've been trying to get on the show, but you've been booked for so long. Like This is finally when you can bump in you know, like a B-lister. I, like I, wish, I wish that was the case, buddy. <laughs> I wish that. You're, I, you I, every time I see you, you're busier than anybody else at the racetrack. I bumped into you at Texas. You're on a mission, got the headset on. You said, stay cool. I said, Kurt, I'm sweating my begonias off right here. I haven't even started the race yet. I love seeing you at the racetrack. You've still been a very influential part of the Driver Advisory Council. So first off, I just wanted to ask you, why are you remaining so involved? You're staying busy. You know, the, the phone keeps ringing and there's opportunities to help people or help a program. Uh, I've still got sponsor obligations and nice contracts with the team. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, you know. The perspective of being out of the car and taking one step back, but yet still being able to be involved at everything and not have to race. It's like, wow, things have come into a different clarity for me to help with the race team stuff. So it's been fun. You know, I'm like, I'm, I am everywhere, but it's just staying busy and staying relevant around all the knowledge that I have. I've always wondered, like somebody just recently removed from their passion, right? Of putting every ounce of emotional energy into trying to remain at the peak of the sport like you were when you remove that pressure aspect or the expectation aspect of what the job entails does that lighten some burden does that make you like walk a little lighter yeah there's just like extra time to do things you know but still with physical therapy and, and working hard to try to you know just personally get cleared which i'm still not uh that keeps me busy stays it's like a routine with race team stuff still team meetings on mondays engineering style meetings wednesday to forecast you know next weekend's race and i kept doing it all and i'm still doing it the same way in case i ever am cleared that way i'm as relevant and as sharp as i can be if i had the chance to go back and drive but then as time has progressed through this summer uh, it's been tougher and tougher with father time catching up to me with my body and things starting to, to change with my arthritis and, and just struggling to get through the workouts to be a normal 100% racer, as well as the physical therapy side. So the door is not closed on 
drop, putting the helmet on and gassing something up. Yeah, gassing something up, of course, what I would love to do eventually. What's just, on that list of things you'd want to drive? So, number one, I always wanted to race in Le Mans. I wanted to, to go over oh. there and race, and Jim France gave me the thumbs up if I was cleared to race with that Garage 56 program. But, yeah, I'm with Toyota right now, and that's my family right there. But like Australian V8 supercars, you know, I'm still in touch with Ambrose and the gang that's over there and racing stuff down in Brazil with, um, shoot, not Tony Kanan, Castro Neves, who's my boy? Nelson Piquet? Nelson Piquet. Yeah, yeah very good. Uh, he's got a, a good series down there with Brazilian stock car stuff. Yeah. I just wanted to go and travel, have fun, race with, you know, world elite guys, but not have the pressure of the point system or you know, other things. So yeah. We'll see. We'll see how it plays out. That Euro series looked pretty cool this weekend. I saw Vargas went and ran it, and it looked like a hell of a time in Germany or wherever he went. Yeah. But what do you do? You stay in the simulator at all? Do you? Are you cleared to do all that? The sim is tough. The really? the Toyota one that moves and the actuators don't. No, that one's still kind of weird. It'll me make out. it'll make you sick. Just Normal. if you're feeling good. Yeah. yeah. You're on static sim. So I'll, I'll do static sim. I've got mine at the house for the i racing things. But yeah, the. The Toyota one's tough, and just like Ford has theirs, Chevrolet has theirs. That's what I need to graduate through. Also, with the doctor stuff, with the neurologist to be approved. What's your go-to eye racing if you're just on there at night, street stock somewhere? What, what do you go with? No, it's a sports car over at Le Mans. Okay, I, I'm trying to memorize. Oh, you're, you're, you're getting you're, the corners. You're now. into it. Yeah, trying to memorize that track. I mean, it's so long, so many corners, and then like go to Nurburgring. Uh, that's a bucket list item I wanted to do post-racing was send one of my sports cars to Germany and go drive around Nürburgring. Dude, there was, I mean, you can race Nürburgring for your entire life, and I think it would change every time you hit a corner. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's tough. Dude, that, that one's a gnarly well. one. Yep. Have you talked to Jimmy about it? Johnson? I haven't circled back around with him just yet, um, but he would be obviously the one with most experience with our style cars. Yeah. Uh, and then just all the different people over time with hanging out there with Ganassi. I was over there a few years back, and then Guys like uh, Dixon, Castro Nevis, and the guys that I used to race in IROC, uh, they're they're still my buddies that are easy to contact and you know follow through. 2003 IROC champion, no less. That's oh, right, Kurt Busch. That's right. I slopped into that one. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You beat some slouches to <laughs> yeah. make the big trophy there uh, for sure. So speaking about talking to drivers, uh, I wanted to know. Obviously, it's big, big news next year. Kyle Larson's running the double, and you, sir, were probably the you are the most recent one that's done that. 2014. Yes. Yep. So has Kyle reached out to you? And if he hasn't, what would you tell him if he did? Yeah, so it's almost a decade now. The rules package over there is still fairly similar in the way that the car is drafted. And I reached out to him right when I heard the announcement, just with enthusiasm. Maybe there's something I can do with you, like with coaching side or TV, you know, doing the double with him and stuff with NBC and with Fox. Uh, so I had all kinds of ideas, and then it was just like pew, 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 kept getting holes shot in things. Uh. And then I think with Jeff Gordon, Hendrick, they just signed somebody to be his advisor. Was it Tony Kanon? I don't know. I, don't I, didn't know. See it. I think they just signed uh. somebody to help. And so I haven't really heard from Larson much about this, but it's part of you know teams wanting to do things within their own organization. So so if I could just tell him one thing, it's the coolest experience ever with yeah. the speed. Going through rookie orientation, there's that step. Then you get into practice sessions at race pace. Then you go into Q trim, and Q trim qualifying is just, they basically just turn the boost up mm -hmm. 10, 15 pounds, and you go running from 218 to 230, just like oh. that. Now, how much 
is the change from 200 to 18 not very much and then 18 to like 240 a big big jump like light speed where it was the toughest was just learning to you lift on the straightaways with those cars and then your full throttle through the corner to Why? keep the the rear spooled up with the stagger okay ah. so that you keep it so you have the right so you had the right mid corner speed and it's you don't want to lift in the corner because right. if you lift in the uh-huh. corner, then it unloads everything. Uh-huh. That's where you find trouble, and that's where I found trouble in practice. So if you're so it's like old lockers. If you stay in the gas, it stays locked. Yes, and ending. everything just stays more stable. It helps mm. the front tires push downward and in. Mm. It's like all four tires connect better, wide open through the corners. So if you've got to run mm. on somebody and you're not going to make the pass, you got to lift on the straightaway, mm. get it car settled, and then get it back up on the right rear. And go through the corner. How, so how, he'll, he'll know how to do that. Did you get out that. of shape at all in it? I wrecked and turned to practice. What's that, puck, what's that pucker factor like when you, that thing <laughs> I don't goes think you around. have time to pucker. Oh, <laughs> hit it loose. That was a sledgehammer to the head there. That one was a big one. Knocked the wind out of me. It was like hitting with a stock car without the safer barrier. Really? Uh, with, with thank God I didn't have to chunk one of the fans. Actually, I did a Rockingham in a late model. That sucked. Uh, Those are hard hits. Did you, no, let, did that, you let go of the wheel? That mistake. I can't remember. Uh, like I, like, <laughs> hell, I don't know if you. But that mistake, I would have made that in the race. I'm glad I made it uh, in practice. Yeah. yeah. We rebuilt the car, went through all of the telemetry to understand what led up to that. And that helped me be a better student in the race. And then I was like, no mistakes. Just stay steady and I can beat half these guys. So. What's the difference if you laid it out? The difference between buildup energy of NASCAR Super Bowl being the Daytona 500 and the Indy 500. They're very similar. I mean, I was in my first ever Indy 500 where I had done 15 Daytona 500s, but it took me back to my rookie year of being a cup guy of at excitement. Daytona 2001. Mm. Like, oh my God, it, was, it is bonkers with the pageantry, the pre-race, the fans. It's like the Indiana State Fair where they're just <laughs> so proud of their track and it's on a global stage. You feel it. And I, I got caught up a few times, and that's why Larson went this year. Yeah, to get rid of some of those mm. butterflies. And Hendrick those did that. I thought that was really smart. Part of the process. Yep. There's checklist things you have to do to be your best. And I, I saw all of that, and I went, "Whoa, dude! Yeah. Go back. Get your professional yeah. blinders on." And I went into race mode about yeah. an hour before. Well, it's How- distracting alone with like just fans on both sides, and I can imagine I've never seen it that full. But just it's it's way narrower than it looks on TV, so I can imagine what it's like when you walk out and there's people above you it's on both just, sides. It was everywhere. It was it was like you know something in the movies, and it feels that way. I mean, that's what IndyCar is about with the Indy 500. So I was just happy to have my chance at that race. When you're on the plane going from Indy to Charlotte, are you full of adrenaline and can't rest? What do you need the body to do to kind of be fresh for that second part of it? Yeah. So all of the preparation beforehand started way back in January with working out extra. Like I ran three miles to the gym, worked with martial arts guys one day, worked with a yoga instructor the next, worked with strength training person the next, and then ran back home. So I prepped for that like no other. It was, it was an experience that started early. And then the month of May, still racing full-time cup, going to Dover, going to Kansas, going to Talladega, Going back to Indy for all the practices, qualifying, all-star weekend, qualifying in Indy. All of that was way tougher than day of. Day of, really? I jumped in the plane. I still knew I had a task to go handle with 600 miles. Got an IV on the plane ride. 
And then the FAA helped us land real quick and smooth. I think I made it in 49 minutes. Oh my oh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. We were special. You that just, day. Nice. You, just, you, you just breathed something. You just breathed over something. I love that. You were training for martial arts in the time being. Whose ass were you trying to kick? Were you, yeah. you going to wreck somebody and like trying to whoop somebody's ass? What, what, what were you training? I was training my brain to do something different versus oh. normal training yeah. because oh. the Zindi car was different. So I was Smart. using, using like an Eastern yeah. style of prep. And a lot of it was just hand-eye coordination and things that we do now with lights and yeah. the, the different beacons that you go and touch and do. And but yet it was balance. Hmm. And things you see, you know, like with Daniel's on, yeah. you know, paint yeah. the fence. <laughs> yeah. just, just repetition and routine. <laughs> Who did you lean? Did you lean on Tony at all? Did yeah, you? Tony Tony was great. Uh, Marco Andretti and I friended each other from that moment uh, and that experience. Uh, Michael Andretti was there all the way through. And to have lunch one day with uh, Mario mm. oh, that's and cool. to hear a story from him on how he discovered Downforce back in the 60s. It was just, it was such a cool experience. I'm glad I had the opportunity to do it with two quality teams. Yeah. To do it with Andretti Autosport and SHR. That's what mm -hmm. Kyle Larson has going for him. For sure. He's got quality team at Indy as well as Hendrick, of course. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Do your pennies stretch as far as they used to? Most likely it doesn't. Here's why. It took 200 years for the U.S. to print its first $5 trillion. Today, Washington has done that in just three years. The problem, every new dollar makes each one of your dollars worth less, robbing you and every other hardworking American. But you can stop this cycle of robbery by diversifying your IRA or 401k into gold, an asset that has stood the test of time. Our new sponsor, Birch Gold Group, has helped tens of thousands of Americans protect their retirement savings with physical precious metals. Now you can too. Get a free info kit on gold right now by texting the word Corey, C-O-R-E-Y, to 989-898. With an A-plus rating, with the BBB, you're in good hands with Birch Gold. So get your free info kit by texting Corey to the number 989-898. Go check them out. Put some pennies in some gold. Talk about quality teams. You have been 23 cup seasons. You have been in plenty of teams. Plenty of teammates. I wanted to dig in a little bit about who some of the, the teammates that you leaned on to help you be successful as you were as a cup driver. I mean, every single one of them. You know, with my time in, in the trucks, Biffle, Greg Biffle was there for two years already. 
I was a rookie, and him and I were just, I think, at the beginning of something that is now in, entrenched with all race teams, and that's where the two drivers are parallel, they work together, and they're there to help each other. But yet measured against each other. Yes, but yet I knew I could beat Greg once I got some experience 60% of the time. Yeah. When sixty percent of the time works every time. Every time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I got to Cup, Mark Martin's there, Jeff Burton's there, Kenseth is there. Now you have five roosters in mm. one hen house. Yeah. That was tough, uh, and that was old school guys didn't want to share information. It was tough in that building too, right? Did you have Fenning. Uh, I had Jimmy yeah. Fenning. Had my Riser's second guys. Year. Yeah, like, Robbie Riser. Kenseth. That building was split. Like yeah, because I worked there right after you left on yeah. the twenty six car, and it was like. Yeah, risers guys are like the Wisconsin Mafia, right? And then you yep. go around the corner, there's the 99 guys and the 16 guys. So it wasn't – it almost seemed like a little bit of a hostile environment at times. It was tough. But Mark Martin was a mentor to me. I respected him so much. And he always had that humble approach of, yeah, sure, I'll give you this information, but I'm going to go kick your butt with it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Mark was the coolest one, but it was a tough environment with all five of us competing. And then Carl Edwards showed up. But Ryan Newman and I at Penske, I think we hit it off great. He would always out-qualify me. I'd always out-race him. <laughs> <laughs> and so we learned what each other's secrets were to help the whole program. Yeah. And then when we won Daytona in 2008 together as teammates, uh, that was that was one of the big feathers in the cap for me. You know, I was on a couple independent teams after. Uh, Kozlowski showed up at Penske at the end there. Uh, but then with Stuart Haas. That was a fun environment with Harvick. Uh, Danica Patrick was there for a little bit. Boyer. And then racing for Tony Stewart, and yet he was still a racer. I was ready for that part of my career. That yeah. was a lot of fun. Well, you mentioned feather in your cap. What are what are two or three of those feathers that stick out to you that are in your cap that you're most proud of? Because uh, the, li- the, the list of feathers is impressive, my friend. <laughs> but if you had to pick a couple. I mean, winning the, the championship. And NASCAR is, is a huge moment. It was the goal. It was my dream as a kid. And I was able to achieve it at 26 years old. I was, I'm tied with Jeff Gordon as one of the youngest champions. Uh, running Indy was special for me. I'm glad it, it all turned out to finish sixth. I qualified a, a pro stock car at the Gator Nationals. Uh, that was something <laughs> oh. that I, I'm proud of. <laughs> uh, that, that was a moment of, you know, like, hey, I can do another form of motorsport. Um, you know, winning Daytona, that was something that was very special for me. Uh, that's probably the fourth feather. It took me 17 years to finally find the right combination for that one. Three more, three quicker than Dale Sr., so you're in pretty good shape. <laughs> right, and he took, <laughs> took him a long time, too. I mean, my little brother still hasn't won it. It's, it's a tough one. And then maybe the last thing was just helping Barney Visser take that program and turn it into a top 10 style program. Uh, that's where I met Cole Pern. That's where I met Todd yeah. Barrier. And that's where Barney Visser, uh, as, as a Christian family man, uh, I would say straightened me up the most. No really? kidding. Yeah, yeah just, just his demeanor, just his ownership power and how he operated. So he yeah. kind of led by example. It wasn't like he there was like this sit down. Yeah, no, no sit downs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it was yeah. just, just follow this, Kurt. He, said, he always felt like kind of like Mike Hilton in a way, like the strong, silent type. I didn't get to know Barney very well before he exited, but yep. is that kind of – Yeah, you're spot on. How he was. just had yeah. that power and that big stature yeah. of, a, of a human being, but it was very quiet. 
Does he still it. keep up with the sport? Nobody really seen him since their championship. Is is Barney doing well? Yeah, Barney's doing great. Uh, yeah. You might know this, you might not, but a lot of the next gen car yeah. components and suspension is built by Visser Precision. Yeah, really? out of the same shop, right? Uh huh. He's got some more shops now too. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's interesting to me, being a team guy, like thinking about all the different people you worked with, because you think about the guys at Roush, and then you Addington, and then at Penske, and then you go to Finches, right, and Spartanburg, and they're like everybody's kind of their own little people. Then you have Old Man at the 41 and Tony I worked Gibson. yeah I worked with those guys they were like the old DI guys so what did you did you take a little bit away from everybody that you worked with yeah I, I think you're spot on with that as well um, team owners crew guys and the backgrounds of some people you know there's different ones from Wisconsin different guys from out west yeah. you know the, the northeast guys you know and everyone has their own attitudes and their own slang and then there's the age thing that you learn as well. Now that I got a little older, you know, there's different things that a 22-year-old thinks of versus a 50-year-old. Are you able to pick up on where somebody's from? Like, that, I think that's one of my biggest takeaways from working in the sport for a long time is, like, I can talk to somebody for a couple minutes and be like, you're from Wisconsin. Yeah. You're from Wisconsin's pretty easy, but, like, the Northeast stuff, I'm like, uh, Long Island. Well, you're from Jersey, like, so everybody sounds yeah. the same. But one of my favorite ones, this is slightly off. We can omit this if we have to. No, no. no we had a house party at Lake Norman, and everybody's just pouring in. Casey Kane rolls in. Kislowski rolls in. Everybody's rolling in. And it's like all the beer-sponsored guys rolling in. It's so it's, weird. It's a Miller Lite, Budweiser. It's like it's all Coors Light. Right? Stirling yeah. there? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Wait, we call it David Stremme. Get him in yeah. there. Yeah. And there's people chit-chatting and talking, and I'm out by the pool, and I hear this voice. And I go over and I, I just tap on this girl's shoulder. I go, you sound a lot like Danica. Are you, you from Illinois? Are you from Wisconsin? She goes, yeah, I'm Danica's sister. And I was just uh, like, oh, oh <laughs> hey. But I think she was dating Kane at the time. Yeah. And I was like, okay, cool. Nailed that one. Yeah. <laughs> got, a, got a specific ear. It, does. it makes sense. Dude, you got, I'm telling you, that's one of the things in the sport no one talks about, but you get an ear for that. <laughs> yeah. well, a thousand percent. And with all the, with all the teams you've driven for, all the, all the guys that have worked and have a hand on, on building your career and success, one of the coolest things that I've ever heard anybody do, quick backstory, all the Ford drivers were given the opportunity to buy the Ford GTs, right? And the, it was like an investment. You spend a couple hundred grand. It's going to be worth a couple, potentially million if you sold it. You got one and you let your entire crew, right, drive it around. Like here's the keys for a couple hundred thousand dollar car for the week or the day what like what was the what was the deal that was basically it is i i handed it off to top people that helped me make it in racing and helped who, who were some work. guys on that list uh like doug yates wow okay. he built the engine for yeah. the ford yeah. gt and and we had just won daytona you know I just, I just, old crew chiefs oh, different that's crew guys. What it was. you won the 500 won the daytona 500 in 17 got the ford gt in 2018 okay and just toss the keys at anybody that wanted and to And my drive. buddies in Vegas that, that were always there to help me when I was crying about a bad finish or something like that. <laughs> Different sponsors. Um, I left it in Michigan for a month or two for my agent and lawyers up there, people at Ford. Anybody scratch it? Uh, there was one little incident, <laughs> but we did okay. <laughs> there might be a new front splitter did, on there. Didn't you do like a, a cannonball run or something with it? Yes. Yeah, so there, it's a car rally. Uh, it's called Gold Rush Rally. It's like the Gumball 1000, and we that tour went from Boston to Vegas, and it's a Saturday to a Saturday, basically. Okay. 
well, I can only do maybe a Tuesday, Wednesday because I'm racing NASCAR on the weekends. So I had Bill Goldberg drive it, which he could <laughs> barely get in. Yeah, I was going to say. He barely could get <laughs> oh in. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Ronnie, the limo driver. Oh, from my God. The you guys were oh my friends. Gosh. Yeah. You and guys became friends, right? We did from all of this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And then I let my buddies drive it middle of nowhere, Ohio to oh to St. Louis. I jump in it in St. Louis and get it to Dallas, I think. And I wanted to go on the western side of Dallas, middle of nowhere, Texas, because that's where everybody's digging mm -hmm. pretty darn hard. Mm -hmm. And there might be some police that are helping us yeah. get through there. But yeah, it was, it was great time. And the, the funny part about that was Ronnie, the limo driver, the character on Howard Stern, we all had monster driver suits on. That was our theme. It was a monster Ford GT. And so he goes back to the show. Howard's like, where were you? On vacation, huh? You must be getting paid too much. He's like, no, no, no. I was on this car rally with Kurt Busch, the NASCAR guy. Howard's like, oh, you guys aren't friends. Kurt's not friends with you. And Howard's like, no, no, no. Look, he gave me this driver suit. Howard made him wear the suit on the show for the next day. And it's like a six-hour commercial for Monster Energy. <laughs> yes. And Monster executives call me, and they go, how do you pull this stuff off as far as helping our brand and all that? And I go, I don't know. It just happened. Yeah. As he, yeah. So, so now we're yeah. just doing a subtle like, little yeah. chug here. Celebration <laughs> chug. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring... The best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For me, race day is a great reason to shut down the laptop, put the phone on silent, and simply enjoy the driving. But Mobile One wants to remind you that you can get that same kind of escape any day of the week. How? by simply hopping in your car, rolling the windows down, and hitting the road. No emails, no calls, no work, just freedom. Mobile One, for the love of driving. I, w I wanted to steer, steer it back a little bit um, to early C Kurt Busch days. I think everybody has a great, a great moment. There's particular moments in somebody's career where like the watershed moments, like a phone call coming through or you saying yes to go work on somebody's stuff or a deal that happened that had it not, you don't become the successful driver that you were. So was there a couple of those moments in your career that you stuck with it or somebody came through for you? Wow. Yeah. There's, there's quite a few. I mean, the, the star nursery group, the, the team owner, the sponsor, the Craig Q. The sponsor guy from Star Nursery in Vegas, and you had him on. You had him on a Ganassi car, like towards the end of your career, right? Yeah, I was able to talk Ganassi into, hey, he's got a, a little bit of cash. Can can you help me with a, a discount? Ganassi's like, all right, he'll pay a third. I'll pay a third. You pay a third. I'm like, cool. There you go. Yeah. And I was able to get my old Star Nursery sponsor onto a NASCAR Cup car in Vegas uh, for a third of the price, and then we turned it into diecast and. 
it's a huge promotion yeah. for, for Craig and that whole gang. He's one that stuck with me. Um, I was an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, running Dwarfs, Legends, Modifieds, American Race Truck Series, running this other guy's late model. Was able to run a Winston West race by accident at Fontana. And I wrecked Craig's car a couple times, just getting a bigger head. And he's like, you cannot wreck this car anymore. We are almost out of money. I'm, I'm not having as much fun. You got to straighten up. And that talk and that commitment, we went on a run. It was like I qualified just fifth, sixth uh, out of, you know, 24 cars. Didn't try to push for the pole anymore. I didn't try to lead laps anymore. We won four races straight by the end of the year wow. and wrapped up the championship in 1999 with that Southwest Tour team wow. because of Craig's guidance and what he taught me. That's cool. Wow. Yeah. So he gave me a big, big chance. And then um, when I left Penske, I, I had to make a couple phone calls. And one was to Felix Sabatis. Okay. You know, Felix, Cuban guy, was with Sapco Racing and had some connections. And I called him up and Felix is like, Kurt, okay, this is what you got to do, okay? You're going to go up here. You're going to talk to Chip. Chip will give you a ride, okay? You just do exactly <laughs> what I tell you, okay, Kurt? <laughs> you so, do a good Felix. That, yeah. He's my favorite. <laughs> I love him. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so Felix helped me get the ride with Ganassi. That's cool. Towards the end of wow. my career. So there's there's been a few guys that really stuck their neck out to help me. Yeah. Wow. How much, how much of that journeyman just being at a lot of teams and working with a lot of people in the garage, does that help you? with your role at 2311 now uh it's it's probably the the foundation of it would i have loved to have stayed at the same team all these years been at roush forever of course i would have what fun uh, would that be <laughs> no, i'm just kidding yeah. i mean penske would have loved to have stayed there there's different moments and things that came up that i had a different belief in or i had a different um version of what i thought needed to happen and again, I'm a blue collar kid out of Vegas that just got lucky enough to make it through in all this. And yeah, you're pretty good at it too. Takes both. It, but then with Monster, when I met them, uh, this was now 12 years ago. That's some of the reason why I've switched a couple teams. Is they're like, hey, we, we want to roll with these guys over here. Or hey, yeah. um, I was telling them, you know, Stuart Haas, the contract changed dramatically towards the end of my time over there, and they're like, that's not right. And I'm like, if we can go to Ganassi, I'll make them winners. Let's go. And like, Kurt will follow you. So that was me sticking my neck out on my own self. I could have put myself on the chopping block there. And then they called and said, hey, we want to go do this 2311 deal. Let's go do it. I'm with you guys now. Wow. And so yeah. that, that's helped me with the teams and, and understanding the business side, the crew members. And, you know, we're hiring so many new kids, uh, guys, girls, different backgrounds, Different countries. I love the process at 2311 right now with all directions we're going. So I found it interesting, too, when you when you agree, talk to Denny, get Monster going over to start their second team. So the 45 had been retired since 2000 with Adam Petty. You went to Kyle to ask him to use the number. How did that conversation go? Yeah, all of us kind of made the, the pact. You know, Denny, Michael Jordan, our team uh, president, Curtis Polk, and myself, and it was with MJ and his number. It was his dad's number. It was his number in baseball. We all wanted the 45. And Adam Petty drove the car last, that number. And not a lot of people know in our industry, there's some numbers that are still registered each year. 
to just to hold the legacy of that number to to have it such as Doug Yates registers the number 28 every year hmm. for for the late Davy Allison and that's from the Ford family and that's where he protects that number and with 45 Kyle Petty was registering it each year and so we had to go and ask and he said there's no other group or driver that I would rather have than you guys to take this 45 and make it a winner again. And so that was an underground moment with Kyle Petty and the 45. And then we won at Kansas later on that year. And you got him, you brought a uh, Kyle and gave him a trophy, didn't you? I got a replica trophy from Kansas. I I bought one for Kyle and MJ's got one. Denny's got one, our team and then myself. Yeah. So I'm a big MJ fan. Like growing up, we were a stick and ball house. Like, we were not big NASCAR fans growing up. I wasn't introduced to it later in life, but MJ was like my hero. I want to get your take on this because we got into this last week. Is it a good thing or a bad thing for Bubba, even Tyler, but but really Bubba, because he's been championing him and on the box. Will he make the playoffs? How will he do? Can he get past around a 16? Michael's present. He's there. I've met him before. You got his, he's larger than life, right? He has this massive presence. Is that pressure or is that a good thing psychologically? What does his presence do for Bubba that you've seen in the team? It's good in all directions, but it's also tough in all directions. I mean, MJ demands performance. I mean, he's the greatest of all time in the NBA. And what he has done in his legacy in sports, it's huge. You know, you have to have a humble approach when you when you talk with Michael or when you meet with the team and there's there's the people that are around him as well. And the time that I got to meet him or interview with him, he's like, we will win together. He puts his hand on the table and he does this. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's like two of my hands. (laughs) No wonder he could do anything with the ball. He wanted to. And I'm like, yes, sir. That's what we're here to do. Like, let's, let's roll. And he's like, I know you're the right guy to drive my car because you race from here. And that's the way I played the game of basketball. So I played it from here. And then it teaches your brain to look at this or that play or to work with that teammate to know how to handle a Dennis Rodman or a Scottie Pippen or others. And so him and I hit it off perfect like that. And that, that told me right away, part of my responsibility was going to be to help Bubba. And he's a teammate. And Bubba hasn't had many teammates in NASCAR because he drove for single car teams. So now here I jump in and I intimidated him right away without running him. But I'm like, you can do these same things. Just got to apply this, this, and this. And his growth, his maturity level, and the things he's done in the last 18 months, it's been impressive. Oh, it's it's visual. Right? You You're feeling it. it out on the yeah. track. Yeah. And, and he's doing that with sponsor things now and showing up early for meetings, staying late in the simulator. These are things that he was never held accountable on because he didn't have a benchmark teammate right. or part of the discipline of – you know, I'm a blue-collar kid. This is the way it worked, and these are the things you have to do. But there's one thing we'll never know. We'll never know what it's like to walk in Bubba Wallace's shoes yep. growing up as a black kid in the South. I, we've said that before. He's had a tough, tough road. Yep. But, but, but you've got to turn into a professional yep. race car yes. driver at this level, and that's what I'm teaching him. Yep. Yeah. So. He's been supremely talented since he – I mean, he was noticeable when he ran the summer shootout in that blue sedan, the 16, right? But – there's a way that, and it seems like he's fallen into that, where Sundays, especially when he was in the 43 car and it wasn't running that good, Sundays can beat you down mentally, emotionally, physically, like, and you can 
guide him through that. And it seems like that's where he's at. Like, there's a lot of people that come back. I think Almendinger's a great, you know, point where he comes from the Xfinity Series back to the Cup Series, and he's like, I'm not real sure if I'm going to stay doing this on Sundays because it's just that much different. Do you think that the Sundays have beaten Bubba down and beaten the confidence out of him? No, I think he's learned to absorb that Sundays are this tough and that this job isn't easy. Yeah. And you're not going to get things handed to you, and you got to go work for it. I liked seeing him pissed. Like, he was pissed with a third-place finish. I'm like, good. Exactly. That's great. That's yeah. another checkbox type thing yeah. we're talking about. But So, MJ demands that, but at the same time, he's super chill, the whole group at 2311, on how we approach things. Let me ask you a follow-up, because you said you have to come to Michael with a humble approach. Why, why do you have to approach MJ maybe like that? I think it's just the 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 truthfulness in it there's nothing you're gonna be able to pull the wool over on him on and it's just being humble with being real you know like i I, we played golf at a sponsor summit at his golf course and he's got his car parked out front and i walk up to him and go hey where's my parking spot hey i'm glad you got to see me today like you you make jokes with him just keep it real and to to be humble like yeah he wants to be a regular guy but he can't rumor rumor has it there's a rookie card floating around. Can we tell that story? Sure. Yeah. Oh, we can. Yeah. Oh, my God. Let's go. <laughs> in an undisclosed location, there's a signed Michael Jordan rookie card in this guy's possession. No. Please mm. tell the story of how you got it. What? Okay. So I signed on with 2311 to race their car, and you have to sign the preseason paperwork yeah. and the Daytona 500 entry blank. So when the entry blank, like literally, it's not a sign. It's a handwritten signature. And I go to sign it on the driver line, and I look at the owner line. I would have thought it would have been a team president, Danny's name. Right. It's Michael Jordan's signature across the owner on, owner line. And I went, ding, light bulb went off in my head. I'm like, I can get an MJ rookie card, and I'll come up with a plan to get him to sign it. Because he signed this entry blank. Because MJ doesn't put a signature. He can't. He doesn't sign things. Hardly like doesn't sign. Not things. even a blue moon type status. Like no, landing no. on wow. the moon status. Yeah. So the plan that I got, I called my Vegas guy. That's a huge card collector. I go find me an MJ rookie card. He goes, give me two days. Guy calls back. And he says, you got to send cash. I'm like, all right. How much? He goes, just send me this deposit. I'm like, oh boy, what did I get myself into? Was it six figures? Can't tell you that. Okay. Because I told you I'd have to kill you. Okay. <laughs> After the show. <laughs> so I get the card and he, I, I told him I was gonna, I having the chance to get it signed. Take it out of the case that it's in. Oh, it was graded. So the car is great. The card is graded as an eight out of 10. Okay. He says, you don't want a nine or a 10. You want to get a seven or an eight signed. I got you the best uh-huh. one that I think you should get signed. Okay. So I've got it now just in a nice sleeve and a couple other envelopes. And I take it to Daytona. Here's my game plan. Okay. And I asked Denny, team owner, I go, hey, I have this plan. Have MJ sign this card. I want to give it to him because his birthday was the Daytona 500 weekend. Give it to him as a birthday gift. Of course, he's not going to take it, right? But have him sign it. And then when we win together, I get it back. He goes, I don't know if he'll go for it. He barely even signed a pair of shoes from my mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, that's my plan, Denny. So it's MJ's birthday. It's after the qualifying races. He's over there, quintessential MJ with a cigar. It's tequila. It's tequila. And we go over there after the race to say hi, sing happy birthday. And I go, MJ, I got you something. And I hand him the, this little brown paper bag. And he's like, you don't have to give me anything. 
unwraps it, goes through it, and looks at it. He goes, damn, you, pre- you paid a pretty penny for this, didn't you? Wow. And I go, oh, I got you something else. Sharpie. And I pulled out an autograph <laughs> pen. Yeah. The one of the, the blue, like, primary uh-huh. autograph pens. Like the ones that yes. Panini gives Yes. You. Yeah. Oh. And, and I said, if you sign that, you keep it, you hold on to it. But when we win together, I get it back. And he goes, I'm going to get you a good one. And I heard him mumble it. I'm like, what? A good signature. Yeah. Mm. Oh. We win Kansas about four or five months later. The card shows up. I have the card. I send it back to my Vegas guy. Now there's a lot of trust moving here. Oh, yeah, yeah. I send it back to my Vegas guy. you got a stick of gold in the mail. Oh, my God. Did you insure it? So, of course. Of course. And he asked for the last bit of cash, and we get it back rated from the card company. Did that guy shit his pants when he saw it? At all, he's like, I don't know how you pulled this off. (laughs) And I says, I can't ever tell you. If I told you, Uh I'd kill you. Uh You got the card rated, and it's an eight still. Yeah. But it's a 10 signature. Let's go. Oh, my god! Yeah, but MJ, when he, when he said, man, you paid a pretty penny, he goes, how much did you pay for it, actually, after I got the card back? Mm-hmm. And I said, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. And he goes, very <laughs> good. That. Keep it that way. <laughs> so I have an MJ okay. rookie card wow. in my safe. Yeah. That's worth two claps. But I am going for. to get the entry blank one day, the actual original one. I've asked the team for it. Yeah. And get it framed next to the card and have the legend of the the, the Card behind the it. legend cool. of the card. You are my hero. That is amazing. But well, we had to win. To, we had to win to get it. You, you held up your end of the That's deal. Right. Did, man. You you earned that thing. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have, or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Well, you've been so gracious with your time. Before I let you go, there's three questions. Okay. That I ask every guest, my friend, and you're a special one, so you get all three. Oh, nice. Oh. You got to pick one car and one racetrack to race at the rest of your life. What do you go with? I would say me and my pops' legend car at the Bull Ring in Vegas. Yeah. Let's go back home and kick butt on all the kids that are coming up through the ranks. Oh, dude. <laughs> that, that would be, like the old, like the, the metal bodied ones? Uh, ours was fiberglass, but okay. the, the dwarf ones were the metal ones. Okay. But, yeah, that, but mine was an original legend car from the Legends race. Uh, Elmo Langley wrecked it. And Holy we, we bought it for like a third of the price. Love that. Yeah. Some history in that one. Do you have it still? Still have it. Where's it at? It's in my shop here in Mooresville, North Carolina. That's cool. <clears throat> Question number two. Two. What is the most embarrassed you've been at the racetrack? The whole Indianapolis thing with Jimmy Spencer. Like, mm. when he wrecked me, he knows he wrecked me on purpose. He knows it. I never wrecked him. I only moved him. You were just trying to rattle his cage. Like, I know I did. <laughs> I got under his skin so bad. But when I got out of the car at Indy after I had wrecked and I'm patting my rear end, in ha- short track racing, that means you go, go to the back. back. Yeah. You go to the back. You wreck that guy, you go to the back. Yeah. 99.9% of America thought Don't know was what kiss is. my rear end. Yeah. And I'm like, no, that's not the way it went. And nobody wanted to take in the, the proper truth of the story. Mm. The real ones knew. 
I knew exactly what it meant from racing quarter midgets. I'm yeah, like, you, you go, go to the, the tail. Go to the back. But 99.9 of America doesn't know that. So how did that situation with Jimmy, did it fester? Did it go away? Did did you guys have a conversation? Like, that was it a, that I think was it a, festered. That yeah, was an infamous, infamous NASCAR yeah. rivalry between you. Yeah, and, and like 03 at Michigan, you know, we were rubbing fenders and all that. And then, of course, NASCAR takes my radio chatter and plays it for their team to hear. And then he wants to jump in my window and punch me before I can get out, which did happen. He was suspended. Crowd was all on his side. Uh-huh. It, was, it was pretty big for a while. And then we ended up at a dinner in Michigan one time, random media-type dinner. And was he still, like, was he we're still all active? just like, cool, man. Was he still active when y'all saw each other? No, he was okay. not. Oh. But we was all like, cool, we're all good now. So, Time is all Water things. under the bridge, yeah. Yeah. I, I was happy with the way it worked out because it helped me become a, a stronger racer in the beginning. He taught me how to be tougher. Yeah, Jimmy Spencer did. Spencer, yeah. yeah. That, that is a pretty cool question. <laughs> question number three. So we talked about feathers in your cap, but if you had to, of uh, the plethora of memories that you've made in this sport, right, good ones, bad ones, and different ones, if you had to keep one and lose everything else, what memory do you keep? Wow. Well, that's big. There's things I'm thinking of with my little brother, and I might get emotional on this. I'm going to try not to, but when he broke his leg at Daytona and he came back up and – his first win back was at Sonoma, and I got second that day. Um, I was like, I had a way faster car. I knew I could chase him down, and yet there was something that just said, hold up, Kurt. He needs this to help advance. And, of course, I went for the win, but it was like there was something that this is my bro. He's been through a tough time, and he ended up winning the championship that year. Yeah. And I think I helped uh, kind of just catapult him back so that, up to the top. That's the one. That's I mean, freaking. he had to learn yeah. to walk again, right? I mean, yeah. the journey for yeah. him that you probably witnessed. And Brexton was born that summer. I mean, it, there was a lot that we went through that summer as a family. Yeah. yeah. Didn't you win in the bush car? And when he started the bush team too, did you win Richmond in his bush car? Yeah. Yes. I remember I remember that just like felt special at the time that you were driving his car and they – Well, because that team struggled. And that struggled. was the only win uh, that KBM had in the Big Xfinity Series. Still the only win. I know. So yeah. I won in Kyle's car, and he never did. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How was that? Maybe mean? that's a moment yeah. that, we, that I take away. <laughs> man, that, that's a great moment, man. So I was going to add. I was going to add a fourth question, and I'm going to I'm going to roll this over. So I don't know if you know the meaning of stacking pennies, but you've known me l- long enough. So the stacking pennies comes from. We talked about it a little bit with Bubba, and just like the emotional toll the sport takes on you. So when I first started my Cup career, I was just depleted right lower team you're getting knocked down stuff's falling off you're hitting the fence you're trying too hard and i got to where i just hated showing up to work the the my dream job i want to do all my life i hated it i didn't want to show up was so discouraged started seeing a sports psychologist so we started figuring out what these pennies were these insignificant goals that you could achieve throughout the course of the weekend uh to keep get yourself back motivated when your confidence is down and you're questioning your abilities and that was legitimately the stack and pennies moniker is kind of what changed the trajectory of my life in a lot of ways. So how in your ways in your life did you stack pennies and what pennies were there? Yeah, I can see how this has been the right thing for you. And you've put the effort in to find that, that rhythm and things that would add up over time. Yep. And to find wins without winning. Yep. Those are those moments. You don't have to take the checker flag. Yep. Uh, it's, it's to, there's a bad pit stop and you're the last car off of pit road and there's 30 to go, and you come back and finish 11th, that's a win. Yeah. You can't be mad at the team. You just 
work on building another stack and moving it forward. I mean, this story is a tough one, but I'll try to make it short. I won Sonoma in 2011 with Penske. I'm in victory lane. Everybody's celebrating. Everything's going bonkers and crazy. And I have this gas card from Shell. And if you have this gas card, you get 22 cents a gallon off and it's on Wednesdays. I didn't say that in victory lane. I said, you get this gas card, you get 22 cents a gallon off. Oh, right. Cause we're all celebrating. So Uh, now there's a national gas crisis. Yeah. Because everybody's at the Shell station all days of the week, fueling up, wanting their twenty-two cents a gallon off, not knowing they even need the card, not knowing it's supposed to be on Wednesday. I get a call from Roger Penske. Hey, we're gonna have to send you back to media training. You messed up on on the delivery. Then I get a phone call from NASCAR. Hey, you can't ever have that gas saver card in Victory Lane anymore it's because mm. it's Sunoco's Victory Lane. Oh, I'm like, wow, this is super exciting. We win a race. I'm getting yelled at by NASCAR, by Roger. And now I got to go back to media training. That's when I started to lose it. That's when I was having, I didn't like going to work. I didn't like going to the racetrack. We were a playoff team that year. We won Dover in the playoffs. Yeah. And we somehow still managed to finish 11th in points. And that's, that's what really took me down. So, so then you go to Finches, right? And, and there was a little bit of a, a water, there's a watershed there. You could have went one way or the other. Mm-hmm. But started second pennies. Yeah. And, and what were those when you're at a, at a mid-tier team that got you back to winning races and contending for championship? It was a lead lap finish. That was a, that was a win. Mm-hmm. That was a penny. Yeah. It was a top 10 at Talladega. Yeah. It was almost winning Sonoma. It was, yeah, then you take some back like we wrecked at Charlotte. That was a tough one. But yeah. That, that moment yeah. all the way back up. But winning Sonoma in 2011 was about one of those moments of, the hell is all this about? Uh, yeah. Finch is when you guys won that bush race with the country time car, right? With the orange. Paint it was like the yeah. same team. It was like Nick and all the same guys would work on the bush car and the cup car. Yeah. And when you guys won that bush <laughs> race, I'm like, there's a chance these guys don't show up tomorrow. Because them boys ran hard. Them boys ran hard. I remember hard. sitting there watching you do burnouts like, whew, it's going to be a rough night somewhere. Oh, Godspeed, Nick Harrison, too. My man was a racer of all racers, too. Oh, yeah. For well, sure. That man, whole group. Kurt, we can't thank you enough for, for stopping in here. I got, I got a quick question. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to intercept this here. You got another bonus question. No. Yeah. Five I, questions. It's, it's for more you. for me and Danielle. What, as Corey's starting to run better here, right? And he's gotten heat through his career. What? No, I'm have, rooting for as, it. What advice do you give him where he's at in his career and where he's going? The way that you're putting together those qualifying efforts and the way that there's those lead lap finishes stacking up and your name with the show and the driving and your all these categories, right? You've learned to compartmentalize the different hats that you need to wear. And how old are you now? You're about 32. 32. Turned to yesterday. So, so, yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, thanks, dog. On it. <laughs> I can feel it. There. Nailed it. It's, it's that next step. And it's knowing how to get there, which nobody ever really knows. But if you continue to do all the steps underneath you at that top 1% level, then that next step will unfold for you. And then you go and conquer it. That's right. On to the next level. That's right. Kurt, appreciate you yes, so sir. much, buddy. Thanks for yeah. coming in the studio Good today. Good to see you. We're so you honored again. to have yeah, you, you here. Thank you. This appreciate was really special. Thank you. Kurt guys. Bush, ladies and gentlemen. Hope y'all enjoyed it. <laughs>